BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Alibi. From your statement, it seems that you found that these guys had been tortured. The sober person would come to that conclusion. <laughs> I, 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 I would be arming you with uh, lots of ammunition you know, when, I, when I, give, I tell you what I think of the bully. I'm Freddie Mabitela, and welcome to Alibi. This is episode six of Alibi. This show is about finding out the guilt or innocence of Anthony DeFries. Now, back in 1994, two security guards were murdered at a Czechos supermarket south of Johannesburg. Thousands of rands were stolen. The police arrested three suspects, and one of them was Anthony DeFries, and was the only one convicted. He has been in jail for 17 years and still insists that he's innocent. Now, last week, we ended on a cliffhanger, one that could decide if Anthony is innocent or guilty. And it all centers around one piece of evidence, an injury on Anthony's cheek. Now, the journalist who can tell us more about this injury and is investigating Anthony's case is Paul McNally. What does that actually mean to have a bullet graze? Well, at first glance, you assume that he's been shot, right? But hopefully that is what we are going to get into in this episode. The injury that has been diagnosed as a bullet graze, is that really correct? And this could also mean that Anthony is guilty, right? Now, according to that report from the prison doctor, he was shot. And if he was shot, then that directly incriminates him. And... The problem is he never mentioned the bullet graze to me. He never tried to dispute it. He never tried to explain it, despite it being used in court. So he's either left it out because he doesn't feel it's important and it wasn't true, or this is another possible deception. Now, that's the part that really intrigues me, is the fact that he never disclosed to you. Yeah, Anthony's story has always been he got his injuries from being mugged and assaulted, right, on the day of the arrest. And most importantly, he never mentioned that the injuries had been misinterpreted in this way, at least according to him. And that lack of confession is hard to understand. So was he shot, though? Like, what does that mean for his innocence? Well, if he was shot... That directly incriminates him. So are we really going to nab this guy now? I mean, if he was shot and the fact that he hasn't mentioned it to us means he probably was the driver of the BMW. 
But how was the BMW linked to the murder of the security guards? Well, the court found it to be a backup vehicle for the murders. But as we saw with the conflicting statements from the police, it might have just been a random car just driving around. Well, let's say it was a random car. It was still one that's full of weapons and ammunition. And there was actually a witness, Harold Cohen, that linked the BMW to the checkers. He said in a statement that he saw one of Anthony's co-accused at both places, the checkers and the BMW crash site, on the same day. Okay, it feels like the vultures are circling around this one. What's the plan? Well, today I am really hoping to see Anthony at the Johannesburg High Court. Hi guys, Hi. I'm just looking for the case of Anthony de Vries. That takes on the local board On the news board over there? Okay. Check both sides of the board. Okay, thanks. Anthony is in court today about his parole. He has had so many problems with his paperwork that it has gotten to a point where he is actually taking the head of prison to court for charges of contempt for taking so long with his parole. Standing in the court foyer, I can't find Anthony's name on any of the court rolls. So I go outside and stand in the sun and wait a few minutes and face a busy Joburg street. I turn to my left and I see Selwyn, Anthony's brother, sitting in his wheelchair talking to a man I can't quite see. I haven't seen Selwyn since I went to his house in Ennerdale. I go over and Selwyn and I greet, we shake hands, and I think this other man with the folder of papers that Selwyn is talking to, this must be Anthony's lawyer. He's a man with short black hair and a thin moustache, with a couple of grey strands hooked over his upper lip. I couldn't find Anthony in court, and I'm not sure he'll be outside. I imagine he must have already been taken to his cell at Boxburg Correctional Centre. This man with the thin moustache and the folder says that the parole is not going well. The hearing for the contempt of court charges, he says, has been postponed for a few more days. The best case scenario is that the judge might give an order to say, no, release this guy would eat such and such a... On parole. If my things are not sorted out, the judge might take a decision. I suddenly look down and see that the man who I thought was Anthony's lawyer has silver shackles on his ankles. This is Anthony. Anthony's hair is well kept and still black and curly as it was described in so many police accounts when he was arrested. It's a little thinner. His tie and suit are a mesh of green and yellow with a black crisscrossing pattern. The jacket is slightly big on him. And I overlay the sight of Antony in this green and yellow suit on the streets of Johannesburg with the image I have always had in my mind of him. In Verenigung, as a young man, covered in blood. Now, because of my thinking around the bullet greys, this image of him bright red feels particularly grotesque. I think because of these issues I have around the bullet greys, because of my suspicions, for the first time, I think this blood perhaps wasn't entirely from a smack with a bottle or a stick. 
as Antony has described in his alibi. However, at this point, Antony is not worried about his alibi at all. He is all about his parole and how he could prevent it from being postponed once again. I've got children outside. I've got a family. That's why I'm fighting. I've got responsibilities. I don't have responsibilities in prison. And it's not, I'm not fighting you. I'm fighting for my freedom. So don't take it personally. Anthony, this man who has burnt through so many lawyers trying to prove his innocence, is now defending himself. All right, Paul, come on. When are you going to ask Anthony about the bullet graze he's meant to have suffered on his cheek? Uh, I need to know. I'm outside the Johannesburg High Court. I'm speaking to Anthony and Selwyn. And look, Freddie, look, I want to hammer him with questions about his bullet graze. But just ask him already. Uh, but you've got to understand, as I speak to Anthony, even out here on the street, I always want to ask him about the past. I always want to ask him about the day of the arrest. I hold back because he's out in the world, and I'm not sure how often this happens. When I look at him, I can see the lines around his eyes and a paleness to his face from the lack of sun. Anthony must be able to feel the closeness of freedom from standing here today. And I don't want to disrupt that. I don't want to go on about the arrest and spoil this very moment again. We stand together, quietly, in the Joburg winter sun, him with his guards, as he waits for his ride back to prison. And I am so conflicted, properly this time. Do I really want Anthony to receive his parole? I mean, it's due to him, but is it for the best, given this sudden unsurety around the bullet graze? That's a hard thing to admit. Then he says suddenly, Yeah, my transport is here to go, so what do you say about... uh... The DCS official next to Anthony stands. The one behind him slides forward, and Anthony very slowly bends down and hugs his brother Selwyn in his wheelchair. On the tape, you can hear Anthony's shackles as they clack together, and Anthony, of his own accord, shuffles in these shackles towards his transport. He hobbles into the street of downtown Johannesburg where a correctional services bulletproof transport van is waiting. The van is stopping traffic. Anthony gets inside with help because of his shackles. You missed your chance, didn't you? Look, I wanted to confront him about the bullet graze, I promise. I just couldn't. But you choked! Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. 
I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. I watched the van take Anthony back to Boxburg Correctional Center. After Anthony has gone, Selwyn and I are left outside the court together, and we speak about the only thing we really have in common. We talk about Anthony. But is he okay, support, like defending himself? What must he do for? Mm. This, this, I mean, uh, 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 there's no money to pay a lawyer to say. Uh, come and do your, come and uh, defend him or, you know, there's no money. And the main thing is that with, with our family structures, we three brothers, right? We were, we always supported one another, but, and we supported our other family. Now the other family members, it's as if they thrown you away. I... The situation with Anthony's parole is ongoing. We are going to come back to this later. But in the meantime, we have a bullet graze mystery to sort out. If Anthony really got this bullet graze, then it changes the whole case. It seems that way, yeah. As I edged right up to Anthony being the victim of abuse, which is clear in the report, and I don't want to remove that, but it also revealed that he could have been shot. And... By extension, it brings everything into doubt. Like, I don't know right now. It's still so very confusing. Some days he's innocent to me and other days he's guilty. This is Marvin Adams, the intern at Vitz Justice Project. He was out and about with me in previous episodes. He comes into the office the next day and he really wants to talk about Anthony's bullet graze. Saturday evening. Um, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I think I was trying to re-react the whole crime scene and what had happened. So I think unconsciously I was thinking about it. So when I went to go sleep, it appeared in my dream. And here's Anthony standing with blood all over his face. And did you think he was guilty after all that or what? I was still struggling with it. I didn't know if he's guilty or if he's innocent, if he's guilty or if he's innocent. I feel that it's harsh to be, like, lied to, you know? But, like, the strangest thing is we can't make a conclusion right now. I think this is what we found, and, like, it needs to play out. Did you wake up from that dream? I woke up scared. I woke up like, Marvin, no, what's happening? You can't think that this guy's guilty. We can't, you can't decide right now. It actually, I had an argument in my head. It sounds crazy, but I had an argument in my head. It's like, this is what the evidence is saying. <laughs> What he's saying is to be truthful is not the same as what evidence is saying. And now, what do, who's more truthful? I know who I need to call. Advocate Desmond Brown. The guy we found from going to De Stup Tavern in a previous episode. He represented Anthony during one of his appeal processes and has a deep knowledge of him and his family. Desmond insists on keeping certain facts behind the attorney-client privilege wall, 
but he's also pretty candid about the case. But my approach was mainly that if this was a, uh, it should have been a mistrial if I could put it that way, but it, it, it wasn't going to be a vindication of Anthony, let's put it that way. Yeah, so the, the, the sort of the conflicting of the documents that you found with the ones that were on trial, there was obviously a change in terms of the time that everything happened, like that would have resulted exactly. in, yeah, so that would have uh, resulted in a mistrial. The, the other aspect is, Anthony could never give an explanation for the greys, you know, where he was shot or who, had, who shot at him. Because if, if, if you read his version, um, he was really assaulted. Yeah. Yeah, so the, so the bullet grace is sort of out of place in his version, you know. Uh, where would he have got the, the grace from if he was merely assaulted? So, and, he, and, he's, and his alibi is so squeaky clean. It's almost like, no, it is the most sort of generic, I was just looking for a job kind of lie. Yes, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, in, in a sense, I'm convinced that he wasn't part of the, the, the actual robbery. But I'm not convinced that he wasn't there to rob. Um, you know, it may have been part of another group or, or something that um, I'm, I'm not convinced that Anthony was, in fact, you know, an innocent um, job seeker who was uh, attacked in the while he was on, uh, on, uh, getting a lift on this bucky or something like that. I think he is linked to the, to, to the BMW. This is a crucial moment. We have one of Anthony's lawyers say that they thought he could have been linked to the BMW. I mean, it doesn't get more damning than that, really. <laughs> you know, you, you know uh, if, 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 if he could explain the greys, you know, if, if his version contained an explanation for the greys, uh, you know, then I'd be inclined to, uh, you know, to buy this uh, uh, job seeker story, but he cannot explain it. But um, I think you should speak to Anthony and ask him about his connection with the BMW. Desmond is right. I have to ask Anthony. Hello, Paul. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Uh, okay, Paul. How, how did that bullet graze happen to you that they found? When they took me to the, to the, to the, to the doctor that time, it was just they that said, no, they shot me, but there was just a, a, a cut on my cheek that they said to the doctor that so it was a, a gunshot wound, but it was not a gunshot wound. Of course, I didn't expect Anthony to confess right here and change his entire story. Anthony's version has always been that he's been mugged and hit with a bottle. And honestly, in this moment, I want to believe Anthony, if only because his frustration is so consistent. Phew. Okay, Paul. Now you've finally confronted Anthony about his injury. But now he's denied it. What's next? Okay. I seek advice from Nusheen Afani. She's the project coordinator for Vitz Justice Project. She is diplomatic. It's not over, she tells me. There are options. She is very, very calm. You know, they didn't find the bullet lodge. He didn't say there's a bullet lodge in this guy, which no. is incontrovertible. Yeah. But it's a bullet grazing. Is it possible? I don't know whether it could have been a, a cut or a, something else. Or does a, does a bullet leave a distinct pattern? I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. And did this guy know enough to know that and to be able to identify that in the absence of a bullet inside this guy? I don't know whether this means that he's been lying. 
is it possible that the doctor's initial report possibly was wrong? I mean, the fact that he may be guilty, what do you think that means for the story? Okay, let's say, let's say, even let's say that he was shot, does that prove his guilt? Well, it kind of proves that he was, it, was, it kind of proves that he wasn't doing what he said he was doing, which was like looking for a job. Okay. He said he was, lo- he was looking for a job and he got mugged and hit with a bottle. Okay, hit with a bottle. Could that have been what the doctor saw and said, bullet grazing? If I was you, I'd find somebody who's working like a medic, an ICU medic. Hardcastle. Hello, Dr. Hardcastle. This is uh, Paul McNally. Hi, Paul. How are you? This is Dr. Timothy Hardcastle. He's the head of the trauma surgery training unit at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. The last story we worked on together was about how to survive a stabbing to the heart. So a bullet graze is entirely within his wheelhouse. An abrasion is an abrasion and an abrasion. You, you, the, wound, the wound necessarily doesn't tell you it's a bullet graze or another type of graze, and it's an abrasion. But any kind of wound can be caused by varying mechanisms. They usually have a, a couple of characteristics. And, and what does a wound like that look like? Can you describe it a little bit? Well, it's, it's, it's the same as any abrasion. So you've got loss of the sort of upper layer of the skin, the epidermis. And the wounds usually will have a, a red area with a, a little bit of uh, weepiness. It's the same as when you fall on your knee and graze your, graze your knee. You've, you've got sort of a little bit of superficial ble- bleeding, and it, it may at some point in the next day or two or three form a scab, which once that falls off, the wound is healed. Oh, so it's, it's not going to gush blood everywhere? Not necessarily, no. Okay. Not if, not if they're calling it a, a graze or an abrasion. So Dr. Hardcastle says that it is possible a so-called bullet graze could be misdiagnosed and an injury of this nature might not be from a bullet at all. It's amazing that a trauma specialist decades later could dispel evidence from 1998. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. So I go back and visit Miremi. You remember he was the man who investigated Anthony's charges of abuse against the police. He lives in a house in Daverton, and I sat with him and his wife as he went through the paperwork in a previous episode. 
We sit in his house once again. You remember the one with the tavern built into the front. On this return trip, there is another important detail that we speak about around what the prison doctor said. Uh, the doctor is, is, says he had uh, bullet graze. Does he say the words bullet graze? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said that is the only injury he saw on the accused. Bullet graze on the front of the cheek. Mm. And you found those assault charges to be true. Yeah. Remy hums and tuts as he looks over the paperwork. Then he points out how the prison doctor only wrote about the abrasion, or the bullet graze as it came to be known. None of the abuse injuries that were on Anthony's body that Maremi noted in his report were in the prison doctor's report. But it's funny that the doctor, yeah. he just says, and he says he only saw that injury here. Yeah. The one on the cheek. Yeah. Mm. You think that's true? No? The doctor is lying. You look at the freeze's face there, you see he was assaulted on yeah. the photos. Maremi, while he was writing his summary, had a witness. Now, this is totally common practice. In this instance, it was a police officer called Rapapo. Now, Maremi and Rapapo did not get on and still remembers how much he disliked him all these years later. In his summary, Maremi said that Rapapo told him flat out not to write down that Anthony sustained any injuries other than the bullet graze. If I mention other injuries which I saw on the, on, on the freeze. Because I kept on asking, what about the injury here? What about that one? Mm. And he said, no, 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 I know nothing about those. What do you think about that? You see, the complainant, the witness has got rights to refuse to sign at any rate. So Rapapu has the right not to sign? Yeah. He says here, if I mention any other injuries, besides the graze on the neck, you will not sign. So for any of the abuse injuries, Rapapo warned Maremi not to write any of that into his summary. So we have Maremi's summary, which contains several injuries that Anthony sustained, and we have a report from a prison doctor conspicuously lacking any injuries but the greys. And we have a police officer, Rapapo, who threatened not to sign as the witness if mention of any other injuries were made. He's got a good case because now uh, the police are hiding the other injuries. Papo, you know, my summary is very good. I think it's very good. Mm. Based on my summary, I think they did assault him. And they don't make mention, the doctor doesn't make what injuries were seen by those policemen on the, on the roadblock, on him. Mm. Why does the doctor not write about him? He says he only saw this bullet crates. He doesn't mention the injuries that he got from the assault. Detective Constable Rapapo also does not want to disclose the nature of injuries sustained by the complainant Anthony DeFries. Here is Dr. Hardcastle again. Personally, I would never, uh, if I wasn't, you know, if the guy didn't have other bullet holes, uh, I wouldn't uh, be as bold as to say it's a bullet abrasion. I would just record it on my notes as an abrasion. Oh, I see. So then, it, so if he didn't have a gunshot wound somewhere else on his body, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's it, again, it's not to say that it's not a bullet abrasion, but 
I would just simply record it as there is an abrasion and then describe the anatomical location. That's the way that, that we currently teach doctors to do it. We don't, we don't tell them to make a diagnosis. That's for the forensics department to, to make that call, whether it be on a deceased body or whether it be on clinical, clinical forensics. This caution is so a doctor isn't swayed. It is to prevent this kind of thing happening. A police officer could say that they shot a suspect, like Anthony, and this could lead to an abrasion being known as a bullet graze, when in fact there are plenty of other causes for an abrasion. Okay, so then I guess it's possible that if someone had been told the story from a police officer that there had been a shooting, then you might construe that, essentially. Yeah, well, that's, that's the point. You'd have to take all the wounds that you find in the context of the history given. Here's Anthony. What happened is, in my case, there was no forensic report that linked me to anything. Because the strange thing of everything, during my trial, etc., they did, like, a test for gun residue and that on the other guys that was arrested. But they never did such tests on me. So there's, when it comes to forensic reports and all that, there's no such. I spoke to Talani Nkosi, a lawyer from the Vitz Law Clinic, about DNA evidence. He said the use of DNA has increased drastically. Back when Anthony was arrested, people relied more on what they would call hard physical evidence. Here's Anthony again. And the thing of the bullet graze that the doctor found on you, was that linked in a forensic way? No, there's no forensic way that was that was linked to this. The police that took me, they said no, they, but there was no gunshot wound or what. Because in court, I had to explain to them, no, I was never shot. And then the judge just called me and he said no. They just took the police's story to say that no, there was an, an uh, entrance and an exit wound, but there was no, no such. There is no medical report that I can find with evidence of both an entrance and exit wound. Was it the fact that the, that the police influenced the doctor to write that down? That's what they, that's what they did. Yeah. Do, do a lot of people believe you? I mean, do you, do you find that? Yeah. Do, I mean, do they? Do they? Do they usually believe you or not? In general, I'm a person that is believed. Wow. Okay. So honestly, I'll tell you this. Right now, I have my tail between my legs. So Anthony's back in the clear for now. What was considered as a definite bullet graze turns out 21 years later could have been a whole range of other things. Yeah, it's insane. It's Look, and it's not to say that it wasn't a bullet. This isn't conclusive at all, but it opens up a whole range of different possibilities. It wasn't definite, and it was treated as so at trial. Now that we've cleared Anthony out of the guilt from the medical reports, what else do we have that could point towards his guilt? Okay, I I got something else to tell you. When looking through the documents for the bullet graze, I did discover something else. I found out that he has a criminal record. It's before the murders, way before. It's for housebreaking with the intention to steal. And for this, Anthony was convicted on October the 24th, 1989. So it was a long time before the murders took place, 
and the goods that he stole were to the value of 6,870 rand. That does sort of ruin his reputation, right? Does it? Okay, what does it make you think about in terms of... Now that he has a criminal record, it says crime is not far from him. He could possibly do this again. Okay, but don't you think stealing something to the value of 6,000 rand is different, way different, from an armed robbery, murdering people, shooting at police? Surely, surely it's different in your mind. It is different. However, it is a start and a build-up towards such. Now, a few weeks back, you said Muremi would help us investigate Anthony's co-accused. You'll remember Anthony and his co-accused, Stephen and Calvin, all pressed assault charges against the police. So Muremi wasn't just looking at Anthony's charges in isolation. He was also looking at these charges from his co-accused. Now, these two guys, we know that they were arrested at the BMW crash site, but... What else do we know about them? Well, let me just say that Anthony's co-accused are really important to this case because Anthony was convicted under common purpose. And that means that you are sentenced for not just what you did, but also the crimes of your co-accused. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Are we going to find these guys? Next week, we are going to look for the co-accused, Stephen and Calvin, and hopefully we're going to find them. You've been listening to Alibi. This is the show that will investigate a single criminal case over eight weeks. I'm Freddie Mabitella, and Alibi is investigated, produced, and written by Paul McNally. It is brought to you by the Vitz Justice Project, Vitz Radio Academy, and is part of the Citizen Justice Network. Editorial oversight was given by Franz Kruger and Nusheen Afani. Extra scripting and production by Elna Schultz. Mixed by Kutrano Serrame. Additional editorial help by Gavin Haynes, Tom McNally, and Kyla Hemmonson. We are based in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find our podcast on alibi.org.za or on iTunes. Join us next week for Episode 7 of Alibi, the show that will investigate a single criminal case over eight weeks. Next time on Alibi. It's a common problem that if you're a prisoner, you do things on your own. It, it, it takes long because, number one, you may not know which, which procedures to follow. Number two, you may not know what time frames apply to different procedures. But generally, once legal representatives get involved, then things start to move. Because they're playing games with his liberty. The things that I've done in prison, but people who didn't do all the things that I've done, they have been released. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right. 
a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.